Listeners, start your engines. Detours episode 37. Rob here. Happy New Year and welcome back for another mega series, our seventh mega series, as we kick off our Beverly Hills Cop mega series, running through those three films, soon to be four. We'll, we uh, have not a release date yet for Beverly Hills Cop colon Axel Foley, but uh, we will definitely look forward to that. On this episode, Phoenix Cloudon from the Film Code joins us to discuss 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you are listening to this episode. Really excited to delve into this game-changing series of films. Of course, launched Eddie Murphy, which we will get into in depth, and the, the impact that this uh, trilogy, uh, so far trilogy, has had, but for now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. What were you doing in California anyway? I was working. Working where? Beverly Hills. <laughs> hey, Mikey. Oh. Well, you don't mind if I ask around a little bit, do you? Don't do a damn thing. Stay out of this. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. And if I just got off the phone with Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder... How you doing? You needn't bother coming back. I haven't the slightest idea who you're dealing with. Like, all three of us are cops. We should be working together. Cover me. Police! You're all under arrest! You do that again, I'll shoot you myself. Now, please, time to drink a wine, a cocktail, a, a espresso. No, I'm fine, thank you. I'll make it to myself right back there with a the little lemon twist. It's good. Try it. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are starting a brand new mega series, Listener's Choice, actually. Uh, we had four options of action comedy trilogies to choose from. We had Bad Boys, Charlie's Angels, Rush Hour, and Beverly Hills Cop. So this episode, we're going to be, we're going to be discussing 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. And I'm honored to welcome back to the show, Phoenix Cloudon. And welcome. How are you doing? Ooh. Oh, I'm awesome, man. It's so good to, to be back on Cricket Table with you, man, or Franchise Detours with you. <laughs> well, uh, you've done both shows. You did a close I, watch a couple times, yeah. I think. And, yeah. So, yeah, oh, you're, yeah. you're, you've been uh, inducted into both. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, man. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about this movie because uh, it it's may shock you or not, if you know me. Uh-oh. But I, I, of course, never seen the Beverly Hills Cop series nice. at all. So, okay. so it gave me a good excuse to... Uh, to finally sit down and watch this movie. No, I love that. I love when 
when you're on a podcast and you're like, oh crap, all right, good reason to clear that blind spot, add it to the top of the list. Cause now there's a, there's a, there's something on the schedule that I have to get right. done by because otherwise, yeah, there's so many of the films for me that are on that never ending list of like, I'll get to it yeah. I'll get eventually until someone's like, Hey, you want to like, damn it. okay. <laughs> Everything my, else step aside. Yeah. My list is uh 275 films long right now. So I believe it. If you got another one, please have me. <laughs> please have me on. Absolutely. Uh, so Phoenix, tell people a little bit about who you are and about Film Code, if they haven't heard any of your previous uh, appearances. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Phoenix Cloudon. Um, I am the one of the three co-hosts of the Film Code podcast. Uh, we cover uh, the most, the current uh, award season films. Um we are in the midst of our third season uh, right now. So check us out. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and hopefully soon transitioning to YouTube. So that's that's on the way. So uh, yeah, check us out. Awesome. Awesome. So one thing I you know, as you know, as you know, from listening to the show, maybe or for previous appearances, like usually we start off talking about what are your what are your history is with the <laughs> franchise <laughs> so this time i mean first of all like you just said you hadn't seen this, these films before uh but it's also this film is so defined by its star in a yeah. way that the last time i think you were on this show we talked about sister act mm -hmm. and that is such a whoopee vehicle mm -hmm. like whoopee goldberg is those movies and it's hard to imagine those movies working without her Right. Uh, that to the point that they've become some of her most, you know, most popular, most successful uh, films of her decades long career. And it's, I think this the exact same applies here. Only thing I think with difference with Eddie is this is, I think, his third film. He had done uh, 48 hours before this. Maybe Trading Places was right before this, like a couple years before this. Uh, and I think Best Defense, he has a smaller role in that. But this is the first time that he is. Eddie Murphy in like a solo starring vehicle, not with nice. another, you know, with Dan Aykroyd or Nick Nolte. This is Eddie Murphy leading a film by himself, which was a big deal uh, at the time. You know, he was still on SNL or, or had just left. I forget exactly what the timing is there. Uh, so it was a big like launch pad for him. What is your Eddie Murphy history going g leading up to when I asked you to do the show and you watched Beverly Hills Cop, I guess? Uh well I'd always been a big Eddie fan I was you know obviously like I don't think I was around in his heyday but I caught up on on a bunch of it you know I've seen his old SNL sketches I've seen all of his stand ups I've almost seen all of his movies <laughs> this was really yeah. just a, a blind spot for me um but I've obviously heard constantly about Beverly Hills Cop because it's kind of legendary for for eddie's career i think um and you know it's just this part of it is it's eddie murphy the other part i think is is harold faltmeyer's score which Absolutely. is just so iconic like that even by the time i was watching it i was like yeah like i was like <laughs> here we are we're, we're doing it and like i think it's just one of those things that um sort of I don't know, transcended where, where it was at and they, and people got to finally see Eddie Murphy in a somewhat different light, which, you know, I'm going to talk about as, as we go on, but like, yeah, yeah. there's a, this is a little bit different for, for Eddie Murphy than I think uh, 
people were expecting and and definitely a different direction than the other two films go in so yeah yeah he's he's a little more well-rounded as a character here like i think you even get even in this film you get like little hints of oh hey that's he's not playing that as a joke like he's playing right. like the humanity of this character there's like a serious side to axel yes he's you know he's joking around most of the time usually to to uh to pursue whatever you know clue he's he's after or to you know to try and solve a case but there's there's more depth to him than just i think some of his previous just strictly comedic uh work would uh in indicate and i think like you like you were saying as people will hear in the next couple episodes the the next the sequel is definitely more in the comedy direction yeah than, than anything else so going and watching this for the first time before we start getting into you know detail on it what was your initial reaction like watching it did it did it you know watching it in 2022 for the first time did it live up to the hype or were you like eh, this is what everybody's been talking about like what, what was the what was the take it was certainly like it was a bit of um uh how can i put it uh it wasn't disappointment but it was like i guess the word is shock really it was mm -hmm. like i was just kind of like really like like this is it this is this is what started it all this is uh how we got you know this iconic franchise uh yeah. you know this this set of films to this level was 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 with this film and i was like okay you know like that was <laughs> That was uh that was that was interesting. I I was not expecting it. I, I I would say that I was really expecting more of a comedic uh film, mm -hmm. and I was kind of shocked and almost almost kind of like I don't know, not really put off, but like kind of just like taken aback by like the sincerity of it. Like like yeah. like it felt more like a cop movie than it does a comedy. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I I agree with that for sure. I think it's also too the it is so baked into modern pop culture. Uh, this this movie and and not only kind of the persona screen persona that Eddie Murphy has evolved over the years, parts of which are already on display here, but also just the action comedy cop buddy cop genre. I like without this movie, I don't. I seriously don't think you'd get things like like bad boys, like rush hour, like all of those, oh, like, yeah. you know, oh, even, yeah. even lethal weapon comes after this, like right. all of those movies happen after this. And I feel like it, it made that, it made that not only uh, commercially viable, but also a way to sort of pair up a more established star with a younger star or launch new talent. You know, like I said, rush hour, you have Jackie Chan, You'd been right. in movies for decades and Chris Tucker, who was like in the first few, like only a few years after Friday, just right. kind of starting to break into the mainstream. And also, honestly, like of modern blockbusters, this is the first major franchise led by a black actor, too. Mm. I think that's huge for for cinema, just the face of cinema. Like Eddie Murphy came knocking through that door uh, with this film and this character. And uh, this movie was such a, a phenomenon when it hit the big screen and i think part of your reaction is probably just you know you you it feels did you do you feel that thing that i feel sometimes when i watch a movie that i should have seen a long time ago where it's like feels weirdly familiar you're like oh the part where he, yeah i kind of yeah. know about it yeah <laughs> the banana so, and the tailpipe right, or whatever. Right. yeah the banana and the tailpipe is one um 
there's a commercial that they play whenever I go to Cinemark, or no, not Cinemark, uh, Regal. Whenever I go to oh. a Regal theater, they have like a commercial before their their trailers or whatever, where it's just a bunch of movie quotes, people just right. quoting different movies. And one guy, he's walking into the theater. He goes, this place is nice and in my apartment. And I was like, so when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's where this comes from. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's hilarious. So like, yeah, it's it's cool to just, you know, get, you know, to finally get that information and, and have that gap closed to, to know that I, kn- I can finally know what I'm talking about when I talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see it, see it in, in context, for sure. It makes yeah. a big difference. But this movie directed by Martin Brest, who'd only done, I think he did Midnight Run after this. He did like uh, a movie called Going in Style before. He was only like a couple films into. This is, I think, his second directorial effort, actually. Afterward, he did Midnight Run, Set of a Woman, Meet Joe Black, Gigli, which is the complete opposite reputation. Classic. Um, which what that what a career that what a career trajectory that was uh, for him. But it came out December 5th, 1984. And this movie, Phoenix, I don't know if you're aware, this was, as far as the films released in 1984, the highest grossing movie that year. Beating films like The Karate Kid, Gremlins, wow. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, that and Ghostbusters. Wow. Okay. Which is crazy. Again, all those movies. Those are all iconic. Bigger, yeah. Yes. Bigger <laughs> stars. Some of those are, are uh, well, Indiana Jones is a sequel, but Ghostbusters, Gremlins, and Karate Kid, even Police Academy, which was number six, apparently, wow. the highest grossing films in 1984. That's the other thing. Going back and looking at the box office for when these films came out, you're like, oh, yeah, comedies. Like, right. or, like uh, I think um, I, I will at this point, I've already recorded the, the Beverly Hills Cop 2 episode. Fatal Attraction was like the number two hit right behind that or something or like nice. or like right above it, <laughs> which is imagine a Hollywood where Romancing the Stone, Footloose, <laughs> Splash. These are all like in the top 10 highest grossing movies oh, of the that, year. Uh, that sounds so, amazing. <laughs> I know I miss I miss those days. Uh and I was I was a year old when this came out, so I don't I I wasn't even around for those days. Really, I, I don't think oh. I was around at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ghostbusters topped it the following year with a re-release. But as far as 1984, Beverly Hills Cop was the number one movie, which, like we were saying, crazy for not only a genre that had hadn't really been franchised out in a way. I mean, there were action comedies before this, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, obviously, is sort of a classic example but not where they were like, oh, more of these. This guy mm-hmm. on more cases. Let's, how many of these can we make? To the point that as we're recording this, the fourth one is, I think, still in production. <laughs> yeah, like 30 years after the They're, the, they're the moving third forward one. with it. I mean, which honestly, you know, <laughs> after Top Gun, man, Top Gun has made uh, the idea of the legacy sequel uh, really popular among yes studios executives so expect to see a few more of these until they finally just crash and burn but like i'm actually really excited for it to be honest i hope so i saw i saw the coming to america sequel and i was disappointed Ugh. with that yeah, yeah exactly that was, the, that was the collective response to that so yeah. i'm much belated like legacy action sci-fi genre sequels cool with that blade runner proved that it could work you know, the Star Wars sequel trilogy, obviously mixed bag here and there, but Force <laughs> Awakens, huge hit. Right. Uh, you know, Creed, things like that. Uh, comedies that come decades later, 
you know, it's a lot harsher. So we will right. see. We will see what happens with that. But but yeah, so this is also even the highest grace, highest grossing R-rated movie nice. for a couple decades until Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh and Phoenix, the soundtrack to this. What were your what was your your, you know, it was the experience. Mean, not only hearing Axel F, which Axel F, huge, <laughs> iconic huge. theme song. Let me tell you, I have a 14 month old son and mm-hmm. he's got like a little piano thing on the, on the, you know, that, right. you know, it's, he like crawls on it or whatever. It plays like little bits of classical music. I think like Jingle Bells and Axel F. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened. That's hilarious. But it's just like so omnipresent that the most unlikely places you hear that song crazy frog did a a version in the nineties that people might be familiar with. Um, So yeah, your thoughts on, on the sequel pointer sisters and all. I mean, like, yeah, the, the soundtrack, the music itself. I mean, there's some great stuff on there. I mean, obviously, you know, eighties pop and and is all through it. And some of that is really great. Like it's just great dance music and stuff. And it fits the themes but the whole time I was hearing uh, uh, Axel F, I was just thinking, like, you know, I know exactly how he came up with this. He was sitting at his keyboard. He was bored. He was stuck. Couldn't think of anything. He just started messing around, <laughs> messing around for hours, playing keys, just doing dumb stuff. And all of a sudden, he came across that that right riff, and he was like, hey, <laughs> said i think this i think this is it and then that's all it took it took just a few few hours of messing around and he got it and that's and now it's the most literally most iconic theme i think ever like yeah like ever (laughs) so i i want the musical biopic moment that was like exactly (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute wait a minute genius of like yeah, uh, it, it energizes any moment that they play it you're like <laughs> yeah this is good and then that kicks in and you're like oh shit about to get real right i love uh, it it's perfect it's perfect and yeah i think i think he was just messing around and he stumbled upon something uh incredible or or i could be wrong and he was thinking about it the whole time but either way i'm sure he never expected it to be as legendary as it is right Won a, I think I believe Harold Faltermeyer won a, a Grammy for this soundtrack as well. The soundtrack won a Grammy at least. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Very, very cool. Very cool. Love the music. As we were saying, you said that this sort of felt more like a cop movie. I think it's an there's an interesting history with this one too because this had been in production or or in development for a long time. Like there were all kinds of different stars attached to this thing. This <laughs> this was kind of spinning around from like 1977. It was just going to be a cop from East LA who transfers over to Beverly Hills. Mm. At one point, uh, Sylvester Stallone was attached to it. (laughs) At one one point, Mickey Rourke was offered it. Oh, this would have been a really funny movie. (laughs) So it's like, I I think at that, I think what you're picking up on is that is the, the DNA of kind of a straight laced cop thriller. Right was what this was. And I feel like it's still in there to the point that it feels like Axel, and I think this actually strengthens the narrative of the film. It feels like Axel is walking into a completely different movie, <laughs> you know? And, and that's, I think exactly what the story is about. It's about a character 
entering a different world and everybody's by the book kind of ironically kind of similar to Sylvester Stallone's Demolition Man where those mm. characters are coming in and they're like what is this we don't we're not equipped for this kind of violence <laughs> you know this is the this is the police department what is this um so i i think that's that's kind of maybe your your take on it what are you what are your thoughts on would this have even worked as a straight cop movie because it is I feel like everything fresh about this movie comes from Eddie Murphy. Oh, you yeah. take him out and put someone else in it. What makes this movie special? You, you take you take Eddie Murphy out of this, and it's it's probably not the same. No, not probably. It's definitely not the same Absolutely, movie. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's not the same movie. It's a straight laced cop thriller, and while that could be you know interesting, you know and probably even great like it, it probably would be a great film it's not it doesn't reach the level that it does without eddie murphy i i'd say i'd say like legit if you don't have eddie murphy here you probably do one sequel and that's it and we're not talking about a legacy sequel 30 years later <laughs> like right. if you even get that so um i think with eddie murphy at the helm like i think of all of those scenes that we talked about you know this is nicer than my apartment, banana in the tailpipe, you know, the, the strip club scene. I don't even think you get those scenes without Eddie Murphy being in the movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, you, 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 I can't imagine Mickey Rourke saying that stuff. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just sounds so wrong in his mouth. So, like, I don't think, I don't think we even, I think all of those scenes are really kind of improv, really. They look improv. Yeah. And, um, and I think, it works better, obviously, if you have a straight comedian doing that, you know, and and I think Eddie Murphy killed it. Just, yeah, like I'm I would, glad I'm glad they went the way they did. <laughs> I would love to know. I wonder if, if I, I haven't I didn't get a chance to really research this, but I would wonder what his thought process was in in choosing this movie because he he chose this script, which is it just it is a good script. It's not a, a terrible script, but it's so elevated by. The actor, like you know, we, when people say, "Oh, you know, a movie is make makes or made or made or broken by its star," mm -hmm. this is like the best example. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you could see someone else playing like the Terminator. Like, oh yeah, there were other action guys. It would be a different movie, but they they would get the same tone. This movie works with this actor, who is twenty three years old at the time, so right. very fresh in Hollywood. Uh. At, at this moment, with this, like it's it's so many dominoes had to fall in just the right place for this to happen. And so this screenplay was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, which is another thing that's wow. I think is wild. But I would wonder what made what led him to choose this script over Ghostbusters, because he was supposed to be in Ghostbusters. And it's so ironic that this movie that year topped Ghostbusters at the box office. Uh, because he was supposed to be the Ernie Hudson character initially. Right. And then that was, you know, he said, no, I don't know if it was because maybe the, the the salary offer wasn't there. I have no idea what the what the issue was creatively. Maybe he was like, saw this as an opportunity to put his own stamp on something rather than be part of an ensemble. I'm not and sure, but I, I, it's what a what an Elseworld story that would be. That would be a hilarious Elseworld story. But like. Yeah, that's that's perfectly yeah, like because I mean you got one where you could be the lead and you could, you know what I'm saying, have the focus on you and you could lead a franchise. I mean, I'm I don't know if he thought it would be a franchise, but you know, that 
the fact that he went in for that one instead, because as as great as Eddie Murphy is, you don't want to be sharing comedy space with, you know, Rick Moranis and Dan Aykroyd and guys of that nature. You know what I'm saying? Guys with that level of um prowess, you know, just as good as he is. Where you, whereas you can have a franchise to yourself where you can you can get all the shine and all the spotlight. Um, so, r- right choice, <laughs> way to make the right choice. <laughs> and I think I believe in the the first the Ghostbusters written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd too. So I think maybe Eddie was like, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't want to join a cast where the two of the other actors wrote the screenplay because yeah. that's that means it is pretty much as written probably. Right. Uh, not a lot of room for me to play as opposed <laughs> to. Here, the amount of leeway that he was given, I would imagine, was considerable. And then going into the sequels, the second one he has a story credit on. Like, nice. He, he just really kind of came into his own in that role. Yeah, I can see that. And, and I mean, like you said, so much of it works because of him. It makes sense for him to, you know, get some writing credits on the, on the next few. And that's probably why the, the next two are leaned way more into comedy than, than this first one does. Because this first one, like I said, it just it it's got comedy elements, yeah, but like it's it's a pretty straight up cop movie, <laughs> like which is just not where I thought uh I it would go because like my relationship with Eddie Murphy is I've seen all of his movies, right? At least definitely all of the comedies, and and I know like you know especially in the eighties the dude was on top of the world as a comedian, yeah. So I'm like. I was like just legit expecting out and out full full throttle full blown comedy, and wow, I was I was pretty impressed with the fact that it was a pretty solid just action cop movie. And he holds it down too. He, yeah, and he holds yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> and this is to your point with the about the um, the comedy elements. This is, I think, the year maybe the year after Delirious. Mm. Uh, the Delirious special, which is uh, obviously Delirious and Raw, both so iconic, both right. very dated in a lot of ways, <laughs> as, as Eddie Murphy himself has said. Yeah. Uh, and being like, yeah, you know, I was a kid, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't have said that now. <laughs> um, uh, especially a lot of the like the homophobic comments and things yeah. like that he made and some of that. And, yeah. you know, he, he, he owns up to that. He's like, it was a different time and I was a different person and all right. that stuff. So. How do you feel the comedy elements of Beverly Hills Cop have aged for the most part? Is this a film that is cringy watching in 2022? Or are you like, no, it has kind of a, a bit of a timelessness to it? No, no, it's definitely timeless. Um, yeah, like, thankfully, like, there aren't any jokes in here where it's like, it's like, oh, you know, that that doesn't feel right in, in, in today's space or anything like that. Right. Like, there's nothing like that. Um, and the jokes aren't aren't prevalent you know what i'm saying he doesn't feel the need to to have like you know unrelenting humor every few minutes like uh so i think that's smart and like when there is comedy it's it's solid like there's some solid stuff i think the banana in the tailpipe thing is like so funny like like because of how dated it is like it's it's like it's one of those ideas where you're like who would ever do that? And and who would ever fall for that? It is just so random that anybody would do yeah. that. And now all I can think of is like the next person I play a prank on, I'm putting a banana in their tail. <laughs> like it's genius. Like <laughs> There's also to, to Axel, I think 
part of what makes it like the comedy is in there. It's used when it has a purpose. Yeah. This character uses like he he's young. He's a young black man in, in the early 80s, early to mid 80s. Right. He, he goes into this world where he's already an underdog just because he's not familiar with the city. Then you take a young black man and put him in a largely white upper crust kind of environment, <laughs> right? right? So they're already, he weaponizes their perception of him. He weaponizes stereotypes mm -hmm. of, uh, uh, you know, of uh, a gay man where he goes, I think the closest it gets to questionable is when he walks into the place and is like, <laughs> I'm looking for Victor, you know, uh, my name's Ramon. I have, I'm not gonna do the voice because right. reasons. Uh, I have her, uh, her, I, I tested positive for herpes simplex 10, right. that whole thing. That's right. the closest. But even then you can almost justify it as he's playing off of the gay panic that this lady or this, this person the guy would feel the right. major D at the restaurant. Be like, I think you better tell him that. Um, <laughs> not necessarily that he feels that way or he's judging anybody. And anytime he jokes around, he jokes around with the, the, uh, the black cop. And he says, He's like, he's uh, making fun of his his voice. He's like, oh, that's, you need more bass in your voice. Like, hey, man, <laughs> not going to be banana in a tailpipe, that thing. Right. Um, and then he's like, no, no, I'm just playing. Like, there's a certain warmth to him that even when he comes off sort of mocking, right? he, he drops the facade with, you know, Billy and Taggart. And then when they're like, hey, you know, you, you made it, he was, a, you know, um, stop thanking him for for the, the dinner, Billy, like <laughs> he, he was a joke. And he's like, hey, man, I've been on stakeouts. He's like, right. that was for when I sent you that food, that was from the heart. So that's like, even when he's kind of giving you giving you shit, like right. it's coming from a, a good place usually. Uh, or when he's throw, you know, throwing himself into one of those over the top situations, like in the strip club. Philip, <laughs> you changed, man. Like, you I love changed. That. <laughs> so great. It's coming from a, from a place of intelligence. Mm -hmm from a place of strategy right. and you know, it, it makes this character that much easy to root for when you're like, Oh, Axel's the smartest person in every room. Yeah. And, and I, and I love, I love that aspect of it as, as well. Like he's not like, he's not playing. He's not, this character doesn't lean on stereotypes. It's elevating them. If anything, but like, yeah, you see this young black cop and you're like, Oh, is a rookie or, or whatever. Right. Like even the way he's introduced, he's introduced as we, as a criminal. We think he's because right. he's undercover, and then it turns out no, no, he's in, she's in running the whole situation. What were your thoughts on on kind of the depiction of that, the character? I guess I guess what I'm asking is representation in 1984. Yeah, I mean, the the 80s were a changing time, <laughs> and uh, and I thought it was, I, and, and this is again why I thought it was the perfect role for for Eddie Murphy at that time because the character is so genuine and sincere. Like he he really comes across you know like he's got a warmth to him like you said he's very uh kind which i think is is just like not a trait you would have thought that uh, this character would 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 have yeah. um but he's actually very kind he's very sincere he's very sweet um and you can tell like there's this the thing that i liked about it which is probably something i shouldn't like about it but like but like I think um, the camaraderie that he shows to the other police officers, right? To yeah. where, to where it's like, um, it's like, yeah, you, you, you know that they have these stereotypes about you. You know that they see that, but he goes to the fact that we're all cops, 
and you know and there's a genuineness there there's a sincerity there where you know he truly believes that they're in this together you know what i'm saying they got a case to solve they're in it together and and the race isn't a factor because they have a job to do and right. if they can do it together then that's all that matters and and i dug that i really dug that seems like a weird message for the 80s but whatever <laughs> like, especially for for california but right. i know i i thought of that too i'm like the part where he gets thrown out of the window right. and then and then the Beverly Hills Police Department, obviously Beverly Hills is part of L.A. County. Yeah. Uh, so essentially the LAPD kind of <laughs> comes in and is like, oh, you're, sir, you're coming with us. He's like, for what? I got thrown out of a window. Right. He's like, you know, so I was like, yep, there's that's the LAPD. Exactly. Like, <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, the reputation hasn't changed much. Um, right. <laughs> but no, yeah, you make a good point. Like for for the light touches of homophobic humor and like i said they're very slight compared to almost every movie that came out around this this time right. which is part of why i think this movie in particular is so still revered uh for uh not only eddie murphy's performance but also within the genre is that it, it there's a real bond with those characters there's a real sort of brotherhood between mm -hmm. axel and billy and taggart and bogomil to the point that the sequel bogomil spoilers for the sequel Bogomil gets shot in the beginning of the sequel, and that's his reason for going back to Beverly Hills. Nice. He's like, "Well, I gotta go and help my friends that right. I made that you know the people I got so tight with in the last movie. Mm -hmm. I need to I need to go back there and and uh, solve yet another case in Beverly Hills. And so I love I love that aspect of it as well. Um, I love that uh, Lisa Eilbacher as Jenny Summers. Like this would have been very easy for them to turn her into a love interest. Instead, it's a very platonic relationship, Ooh. friendship between the two of them. Yeah. With his, his friend, Mikey, who I think the movie does a pretty good job at establishing their dynamic with Cor like correct a me few minutes. Wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. The guy yeah. who plays Mikey, I don't have the cast list in front of me. Is that the hot priest from Fleabag? Am I, am I correct in thinking that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't believe so. Because I would imagine it was like I don't know. They look pretty close. I don't. I don't yeah, know. it's doppelganger, maybe. <laughs> right. No, it doesn't look like it. Okay, that was weird. I was just like when I was looking, I was like hot priest, but okay. <laughs> well, hot priest. I mean, that would have been what almost forty years ago, right? Exactly. So guess, where yeah. I, where I'd be like, wow, dude, like way to age up, moisturize, like, like, moisturize, like, right, like, stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Those some tips from Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> um do you do you think the movie does a good job at like establishing Axel and Mikey and uh and its handling of the Jenny character? Because I I feel like yeah, like I said, any other movie that would have just been like she would have been objectified or she would have kind of turned into a damsel in distress much more readily than she does in this movie. Uh, or there would have been some sort of half-baked love story. I love that we don't get any of that. Like this movie, right. I think we're uncovering is really about friendship in a lot of ways and how, what you'll do to, you know, protect your friends, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, and I do love that. Cause like, yeah, the, the love interest trope, especially in the eighties, Oh God, in the seventies, the, eighties the and nineties, it was, it was very prevalent and it was, it, it, it just got to the point where you were like, dude, again, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so like, I think it's, it, uh, 
kind of funny. Like, you know, I grew up in some of this area and um, I used to see it constantly. And like, it didn't bother me until I got older. And then as I tried to watch a, a lot of other movies from that era, I was like, oh my God, like we, we fell on this like every chance we could get. Like yeah. it was just, just so many times. So yeah, that was absolutely refreshing to to see that they didn't go that route. I think the best example, one of the one of my favorite examples of that is in Speed, when by the end they're like, oh, you know, relationships based on you know trauma don't usually work out. And they're like, we're just gonna have to base it on sex. And they're just like, yeah, yeah that's what I think. That'll work. Yeah, like, what... like I love that that, that that they just pull out, like spell it out in that one. Um, yeah. And, and another connection I noticed, we, uh, we get Bronson Pinchot in here as Serge, mm -hmm. uh, who was in first wives club, which we talked about on close watch Yeah, doing <laughs> a sort of a similar sort of, uh, you know, character, over yeah. the top kind of, yeah. Yeah. Artsy sort of, sort of character. I, I, in here, he feels like the template for the Martin short character in father of the bride remake. Uh, <laughs> very, he's very sort of Frank esque like yeah. uh you know sort of over the top and very like very into you know in either interior decorating or his espressos <laughs> his little lemon twist and all that kind of thing uh so i i i think he's really fun in this we get him back in the third one so uh it's it's cool that he has he has a little uh appearance in this one yeah it was cool to see him and like yeah this this role i, I feel like uh like he kind of got typecast a little bit because he was he's really kind of perfect in it but again, yeah. it was kind of just like, oh, dude, like need you to branch out a little bit more. But that's still like still good, though, to see him. And I, and I thought he was great. It's like he needed a bigger role. But uh, yeah, he was he was great. Yeah, I went, I'm trying to see if this was. Yeah. And this was a couple of years before Perfect Strangers. I think mm -hmm. they were like, hey, can you do that? Can you do like a more ridiculous accent <laughs> for a vaguely foreign uh, character? And we'll just pair you up in a sitcom <laughs> with your very straight-laced American cousin. There we um, go. <laughs> for people that haven't seen Perfect Strangers, the sitcom, which was in the, the late 80s or early 90s. Good good stuff. Uh, I also noticed, too, that this film really kind of kicked off the start of the whole Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson productions. Like, mm. this this franchise, after this, they did Top Gun. Then, they, then Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Crimson Tide, Bad Boys, like we nice. already mentioned. The Rock, Con Air, Armageddon, all of these oh, movies. Man. Like Classics. they basically dominated action genre for the next 20, 30 years after this. And I feel like you do you do you see any of the seeds of all of that in this film? Because I I, I guess they're in there. <laughs> the the Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer uh yeah. seeds. Oh yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like so much of their trademark. I mean that list of movies that you named oh my god like <laughs> you just define just define the 80s and 90s right there with just that lineup uh yeah like so much of what they did was very you could say it was very stylized very professional um they loved chase scenes <laughs> like absolutely love chasing uh, for sure and like so like there's a there's a bunch of that. I think that's one of their signature calling cards. Um usually almost always they have a great person behind their music. So uh yeah. uh, once again knocked that out of the park here. Um and those are really like their their trademarks is just, you know, 
they they have a great score, a great soundtrack behind their films, very stylized, very well done productions, and gotta have a car chase or some kind of chase whatsoever. Like like, uh, and it works out. Yeah, definitely. Is there? Does this movie obviously it's sort of a comedy, an action comedy? Mm-hmm. Do you would you consider this more of a comedy film or an action film? Does it deliver on the action? Is I guess what I'm getting at because oh, it, yeah. it's yeah okay because yeah, I it, was kind of like to me it felt like a comedy mixed with a thriller like a mm-hmm. crime thriller sort of vibe. The action I think you get the chase scene that you mentioned up top and then the the shootout towards the end, but like there's a nice chunk in the middle where it's it's not really focused on that kind of thing as much. Yeah, it's it's used sparingly, which I think is is the strength of this film. You got, I think the crime thriller aspect of it is the most intriguing, and then you have the action, and then you have the comedy, both used very sparingly throughout, which is probably why it was nominated for original screenplay, is that it doesn't, doesn't lean so much into either genre, um, but rather uses each one to really he- he- heighten the the crime thriller aspect of it. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I dug it as as, as far as it was as, as well as it was done. Could it have used a little bit more action? I wouldn't have been mad at it. Obviously, <laughs> like could have used a little bit more comedy. Obviously, wouldn't have been mad at it. And if you see the second and third, you get more of that. So like, <laughs> like yeah. So I think all in all, this one was a little bit more balanced. Definitely. I mean, to the point, like we were saying, like the villains in this, there's no winking whatsoever. They're not, they're not cracking any jokes. Stephen Burkhoff is Victor Maitland here. Like he's just a scary dude. Like there's nothing there. He doesn't, there's, they're, they again, feel like they're from a different movie. They're not, they're not in a comedy. They're in a, a serious kind of crime epic right of, uh, story going on and then meanwhile you have axel uh and john ashton as taggart and judge reinhold as billy rosewood and ronnie cox as bogomil which three great supporting performances that I, I think you really feel the absence of those characters when uh for example taggart's not in the third film i don't think i don't remember if bogomil is or not but billy sort of becomes like his main ally in the sequels uh particularly the third film uh, it, they're totally on board with Axel by the end of this because he's just running around sort of, and I, I think I said this in the other episode, Ferris Bueller-ing his way through uh, through Beverly Hills. Right. Is there is there a specific setup or uh, Axel, you know, an instance in which Axel uses his confidence as the ultimate weapon and, and uh, takes control of a situation? Is there a particular bit that worked best for you? Uh yeah, I think the the strip club scene is is probably the one obviously that comes comes to mind, um, and and it's it it's a great way to establish that level of sincerity that um I think uh Axel Foley brings where it's um you know he he's he's really like they think he's goofing off. They think he's jerking them along, you know, that whole, that whole thing. He's playing them like as a scam or whatever. Right. And then he notices that what, what's, what's happening in the club and he starts paying more attention to it. And he's like, I think we should, we, we should, you know, take, take a, a deeper look at this. And the fact that it all works out, you know what I'm saying? And 
he's able to pull that off. I think it was just brilliant. And I love that scene because of the way he's messing with the, the, the gunman. You know, he, he plays it very, he, he plays it very comedically, you know, and, yeah. and then the way he's just able to switch right back into being serious. Uh, that was really, that was just impressive. Like, I think that's the most confident I've ever seen Eddie Murphy where, where he's just able to turn from comedic genius to sh- straight laced cop in, in, in a heartbeat. Um, so that was solid. That was just really cool to see. It's the, it's the classic, uh, cop movie thing of, man, you always breaking the rules, but damn it, you get things yeah, done. Yeah, right. Yeah. Kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get, plus we get in that scene, the iconic sort of the turn to the camera and the okay. Yeah. Hand moment with the big smile. And to, to our earlier point about Axel's humanity and sort of warmth, then he wants to, he's trying to give them the credit right. for the whole thing. He's not really <laughs> supposed to be doing anything solving crimes or, or, you know, working in law enforcement while he's in the city. So he's like, they came in here, these two guys, they were super cops, right. um, you know, <laughs> and to the, to the point that by the end, Bogomil covers for Axel and it's like the Beverly Hills cops finally learn to like get shit done because <laughs> of Axel's influence. They kind of, right. he loosens them up a little bit. Uh, so I love, I love that. Anytime you have characters sort of learning and growing from each other, plus all these jokes and action and one of Eddie Murphy's best performances, you, you know, little to complain about there, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. And I so, do love, I do love that ending too. Like, cause, yes. cause again, that scene, you know, he's like, you know, they, they, they basically admit the truth and he's like, guys, like the super cop story was working. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like got to learn to lie, you know what I'm saying? And like for it to come back at the end, I just thought that was just really cool and really clever. Absolutely. What are, what are, what are some of your, um, favorite Eddie Murphy movies like going into this since you hadn't seen this one what are some of the ones that you're like all right Eddie Murphy this is my Mount Rushmore of Eddie Murphy films (laughs) Beverly Hills Cop you're known for it's like your big breakthrough let's see where where it stands oh Um, dear (laughs) well the 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 first coming to America I think is yeah really high on my list um they like uh last Christmas or the Christmas before I'm not sure uh, VH1, they were doing like just a nonstop. They just kept playing Coming to America nice. over and over again. And for whatever reason, I sat there and watched it <laughs> like like for like seven hours straight. It was just like... That's not a movie that gets old, though. <laughs> right, like, it was yeah. just like, run it back. I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> so like that one's definitely at the top. Um, I I got a little bit of love. I, I, I can't lie for, uh, for uh, uh, The Nutty Professor. That's just yeah. that's yeah that's that's just one of my favorites. Uh, an underrated one for me is is Harlem Nights. Uh, with him and uh Richard Pryor. Uh, he also directed that, so that's part of the reason why I like that. And uh, and then for me, it's it's his serious roles like Dolomite is my name, and his role in Dream Girls. I think you know he's very fantastic in all of those. Um. And I got to say, even though <laughs> no one will agree with me, this movie is terrible. It's cheesy. It's awful. And and I get it. And everything anybody would say bad about it is correct. Don't like I know, but I love it. And that's Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> like, nice. like, it's awful. 
but Vampire in Brooklyn is great. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I when as you were hyping that reveal up, I was like, which one is he gonna say? Because Eddie's film career is very yeah. all over. There's a there's a nice period there, post you know Doolittle and <laughs> and Nutty Professor because. The early 90s were a little rough. Beverly Hills Cop 3 didn't do particularly well. Right. Vampire in Brooklyn didn't do well. The Harlem <laughs> Nights didn't do well. Nutty Professor kind of put him in a zone for a few years. And then I think the early 2000s, we got like Pluto Nash and, something, and you know, stuff like that. I was worried. I was worried we were going to hear like a Norbit type answer. Oh, so God, then when you no. say Vampire in Brooklyn, I was like, okay. <laughs> I, can, I haven't watched that in a long time, but. I especially now having, uh, you know, having just seen Black Panther Wakanda forever mm. in the last week, I was like, ah, I remember Angela Bassett being pretty good in that. And now I'm doing <laughs> this podcast and I was like, yeah, and Eddie's pretty like, that's an interesting choice for him. That should So I might go and see where that's streaming one of these days and rewatch because I remember it being very strange, but like an interesting, a, an inter interesting effort as far as <laughs> horror and comedy kind of bouncing off of each other and, and in unexpected way so yeah that's, that's one way to put it yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah well there's like a heart ripping out scene early on like on a yeah. boat or something right it's i remember it's, it's, I it's wild. kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> um yeah so that no that's i definitely need to uh need to refresh my memory as vampire and booklet and and, so, and don't forget like his yeah. voiceover work like you know what i'm saying yeah oh yeah got like, as as Donkey in the Shrek movies, as uh, Mushu in Mulan, like dude, dude's dude's pretty good. Like he, he's yeah. he's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's when when he's missed, he's missed big, big. But but he's <laughs> he's made so much stuff. He's been so prolific right. over the last forty years that there's plenty of great stuff to wash yeah. away the the bad taste of the Norbits of, uh, of his career. <laughs> Um, yeah. And the ones you mentioned, like those are, those are some great picks. Definitely. Uh, I wanted to talk about Beverly Hills cop, uh, Axel Foley briefly. What are you hoping oh, to see in, <laughs> in the fourth one? Like clearly you have hopes that it could be good. I hope it's good. I'm cautiously optimistic, especially <laughs> after coming numeral to America. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping it could be, it could be good. Uh, we have judge Reinhold, John Ashton and, uh, Paul Reiser is even back for that one. And, yeah, and Bronson yeah. Pinchot, they're all apparently popping back up. So that that seems like they're going for more of a Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2 energy and not so much 3. So good good so far. Hopefully. Uh, what are you hoping to see with that? I just, you know, the standard, obviously, for the Legacy sequel is Top Gun Matt. Like, that, that's the standard. That's the gold standard. I Like, it's too much to ask for every movie to to reach that level that's way too much to ask right um i i i pray to god it's better than than the the coming to america sequel i like please god get better than that um but like so like yeah if if, if top gun maverick's the gold standard then the the lowest bar is that coming to america sequel uh so Fit somewhere in between there. Fit into like the Scream Five era, <laughs> like like yeah, you know be, be decent and we'll just, be happy. just be solid and and right. that that's it. That's all I need. But uh, yeah, that's all I'm hoping for. I don't. It would be like if it reached Top Gun Maverick levels, that would be insane. But that's too high to hope for. 
So yeah, I'm bringing exactly. it down. So I'm just bringing it down. Just be solid. That's all I need for it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I agree. Um, is there anything before we start moving into winding down the show? Is there anything else about Beverly Hills Cop that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to touch on? Oh, God. Um, I do want to mention something. Hold on. Let me get his name. before. I don't want to mess that up. Um, uh, I think he's in all of them, so I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, Judge Reinhold. Okay, that is his name. Okay, I thought that was a different character. But um, he was great. Like, he was so great. And like, and I get why they've they've kept him for all the others, and I think he is coming back for the fourth one. Um, but I've known that character actor for he's been a character actor for so long, and I've seen him in so many things. Uh, it was just crazy to see him again, and and like know that like this is a guy who probably should have been like a top build star at, at some point, you know what I'm saying? And he he's he's really worked on his craft. He's a great comedian. I think he has great comedic timing too. Yeah. And you know, he he worked very well uh playing the straight lace kind of character off of off of Eddie. Um but also having that sincerity. Like, you know, somebody brings you a plate of food, man. Come on, you got to take that. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was I thought he was just as genuine. So it was great to see that role. I do like, I, I also skipped on his name, but the guy who played Taggart, who plays it even straighter, I thought he was fantastic. This was just a really strong cast, a really strong yeah. cast of characters. Uh, I loved uh, uh, Foley's boss in Detroit. Like his captain, that yeah. dude was great. Like, what this line is like, Captain just chewed my ass out. You see, I ain't got much of it left. Like, like it was just like, I love that guy. He, he, He's like the the Murtaugh of before Murtaugh. <laughs> like, yes. like, like absolutely. So like I, I dug him. But all we, the characters were solid. As as I said earlier, I this the the next episode of this podcast I've already recorded. So I'll, you know, we'll mention it again there. But the the actor that played Inspector Todd, Police Boss in Detroit, right. is Gil Hill, who was an actual police officer ah. uh in in Detroit. That's he joined the police uh, Detroit Police Department in 1959, wow. and he was promoted to detective a decade later. And he had a whole career long before he he even you know thought about possibly acting in anything. Wow. So I think you're feeling the authenticity there, <laughs> right? A little bit too. And yeah, I agree with you. Like he's he's a blast when he shows up in these movies. <laughs> That's um, amazing. So, what is especially you you know you're coming to this whole franchise with fresh eyes. What is the legacy of the Beverly Hills Cop franchise? What does it contribute to cinema? Oh, I mean, okay, cheap answer first, obviously, is that score. <laughs> like, like, there's no getting around it. Uh, Axel F is just it's so perfect. <laughs> like, so perfect. It, you played it right now. There's just nothing that, like, there are tons of scores by great composers whom I love forever. None of them have something as good as that. <laughs> like, like as as futuristic and as perfect as like, there's not a score that I think of that has stayed in my head longer. And I didn't even see the movie until now. Exactly. Like, like yeah. you know what I'm saying? So like, that's insane. Um, but yeah, 
that is obviously, I think, its biggest contribution. I think what it meant for Black actors leading um, action comedies and, and, and just leading different different types of roles instead of like, you know, black films and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it's that it what it what it does does for comedians. So many comedians followed after um, Eddie Murphy because of that. It's a it's an incredible legacy. And I think um, what it what it has done for cinema has been that it's the fact that it still remains one of the most iconic franchises of all time. Uh, you can't beat it. And Eddie Murphy, like he legit, he went on and done, did a hundred other movies and you see, he's coming back to this one. So, <laughs> so yeah. 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 There's a reason coming to America and Beverly Hills Cop are the two franchises that he's going back to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I need to go give the fans one more of those. Yeah. Uh, and to your, to your point about the legacy for black actors, like, Damon Wayans is in this thing. Damon briefly, Wayans is in this. The guy yeah. who gives him the banana. Right. Damon Wayans, who in the last, just a few years ago, was playing Roger Murtaugh on the Lethal <laughs> Weapon show, who That's made a awesome. lot of like The Last Boy Scout, a lot right. of like movies that fit within the genre. The next one has Chris Rock in it. Who nice. Also sort of did, a, uh, had his little run at action and comedy and, and being a movie star. Was in Lethal Weapon 4. So there's all kinds of interconnected tissue here for sure. Uh, so what is your ranking of these of these films now that you've uh you've seen the three of them? Uh I've not seen all three. <laughs> well, which ones have you seen? Have you seen just two? I I've only seen the first one. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Uh I okay. saw the I saw the trailers for the other two. They look very interesting. But uh really looking forward to seeing those. But yeah, this is just this one I've seen. So okay. this, this is right. at the top <laughs> right now. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well then, maybe maybe there's we have some time before this goes gets posted. In the meantime, sometime in between now and then, maybe you can watch the sequels report back. Let me know two or three. Absolutely. And then, and then obviously, I, I would imagine one will probably still be at the top, but <laughs> we'll 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 see. Let report back, and then right. at the end of this episode, I will uh, be like, so Phoenix. I have a message from Phoenix. Phoenix said. Uh, <laughs> One, two, and three. So there you go. <laughs> which which is, I think, the consensus, but don't let that sway you. Um, okay. So tell people, first of all, Scenics, this was a blast. I'm so glad that we got a chance to do this. Thank you. I, I love the fact that you hadn't seen this movie before. Right. I think that's even better because, mm. you know, this these movies have been around for so long. So kind of probably it would be hard for me to get fresh eyes on it if I tried. So I like that I accidentally <laughs> got fresh eyes on it. Right. Um, and uh, I, you know, I'll take full credit for finally get you, getting you to watch these movies. Uh, <laughs> tell people where they can find you and Film Code on social media. As you guys can find me on Twitter at IMHOReviews1, that's the number one, and on Letterboxd under PA Cloudin. And like I said, guys, uh, follow uh, my show, uh, Film Code Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, coming soon to uh, YouTube as well. Uh, yeah, check us out. Middle third season is we're going strong. Can't wait to see how it all shakes out at the end of the year. But uh, that's where you guys can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Phoenix. And uh, I'm off to go watch Vampire in Brooklyn. If it's streaming somewhere, <laughs> I have to. I have to check. I imagine it would be on. 
It's HBO gonna, Max or something. It's, but, it's uh, probably either on HBO Max or on Tubi or Crackle Tubi or, or yeah, Pluto TV or right. one of those like <laughs> with ads, just like please, someone watch this. <laughs> Straight from the the you know the three dollar bin at Walmart or whatever. Oh, yeah. Not absolutely. that the movie deserves that, because I think, like you said, I remember it being interesting and worth discussion. <laughs> like the only bad movie is a movie where there's nothing to offer whatsoever right. in my mind. Like like nothing memorable, nothing to talk <laughs> about. Just like eh, it was there. I don't care. Right. Uh, so yeah. So I might I you report back on Beverly Hills Cop two and three. I'll report back <laughs> on Vampire in Brooklyn. At oh. the end of this episode, I'll when I record the outro, I will uh, I will throw those thoughts in there. That'll be a, that'll be awesome. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> Big thanks to Phoenix Cloudon from Film Code for coming on to discuss 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. So glad that we were able to be a part of clearing that blind spot for him. As he mentioned in the episode, he still has not had a chance to see Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3, so I do not have a ranking, unfortunately. I think this is sort of the uh, the downside of doing these recordings in December when everyone is busy and everyone is a buzz. so we'll have to keep that in mind going forward uh, when, I, when I schedule this show. But uh, And I have not really gotten a chance to see Vampire in Brooklyn. I still have started it. It is... Can't be fun. So definitely check that out. Still on HBO Max. But I want to know, what are your thoughts on 1984's Beverly Hills Cop? Is this one that you recently discovered or saw later in life? Or is this one that you grew up with? A lot of us saw a lot of these 80s and 90s movies way earlier than we should have. Guilty as charged myself. So let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. Same handle on Instagram via email at robert at crookedtable.com. Also, Tumblr, Hive, etc. You know, you just find Crooked Table, you know where I am. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you at the next stop, everybody. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs> 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 <laughs>